Good morning. So today's objectives that I wanted to uh, share with you first was the significance of the first. By a show of hands, how many of you can be the seven feasts of Yahweh? Anybody? Yeah, seven. I saw on the side. Oh, yes. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. See, there's no talking about Evidence, <laughs> audience. So when we learn this, we're going to find that we'll be able to learn different things. We'll learn the significance and the main points of the feasts, we're going to learn why it was instituted by Yahweh. Another thing we're going to understand is by learning and understanding the feasts of Yahweh, how we can better formulate our eschatology. Eschatology is the study of the feasts of end times. When you see the feasts and how they laid out, you realize that certain doctrines will fail. Okay, and will be actually non-biblical or extra-biblical. We can look at the timing of the rapture with the feast. Is it preacher? Is it nature? Is it three-quarter trips called a pre-rapture trip? And post-trip, when you go up and come right back down, it's like a U-turn for Christ. You go up and come right back down to earth. So with the knowledge of the feast, we're going to know which one is the biblical concept of the rapture. We also can answer a thing called preterism. Preterism is that the prophecies concerning the second coming of Jesus and all of his judgments have already happened in the seventy. So with understanding of the feast of Israel, we'll see that that is another non-biblical uh, account of the second coming. We'll also see, does God still have a plan for Israel? Is the Abrahamic covenant still in effect? And we're going to see if we can understand uh, Peter's actions on the Mount of Transfiguration. So just keep that in mind. What happened? What compelled Peter to build three tents on the Mount of Transfiguration? Anybody know? When you study the feast, you know exactly what he's doing because you're going to get the Jewish insight to this particular feast. So there are seven appointed festivals commanded by Yahweh our God and are known as the Feast of God. Some people call it uh, the Feast of Israel. But Yahweh, God himself, calls it his feast, his particular feast. And those are found in the Leviticus 23 2. 
So the book of Leviticus 23, do you can find the seven feasts in their consecutive order. So the feast in Hebrew, the Hebrew word is moe. And if it's plural, it's clean. And what that means is a fixed time. A festival and a fixed time. It's a time to me. It's like when a couple sets up their uh, wedding. We, we celebrated some anniversaries today. When they set up their, uh, their weddings, they choose a specific day to be, and on that day, they have that feast. Exactly what our God has done. He has shown us a way to do that. So the God of Scripture, what He has done, because sometimes we stray away from Him. The God of Scripture made annual appointments with His people. Just like a doctor would really make annual appointments. Now that I'm over 50, man, a doctor come all the time. Did you check this? Did you check that? Did you check that? Yes, yes. Okay, I'm going to talk to everybody. But He wants to meet us. For different reasons. I mean, the, the Lord wants to see how, how we are, but He wants to see how our walk is. So He made these annual appointments with His people in order to gather them to celebrate and remember His love, His care, and His miraculous works. We all read uh, Exodus, right? His miraculous works are incredible and indeed the whole place. You know, Full of flies and gnats or whatever. But the people of Israel didn't even think about those things. It was directed to the Egyptians, but his works were incredible. So he wants us to remember his love, his care, miraculous works. Why? Because we have the propensity to depart from the faith or we lessen his effect in our lives, in our roles, in our lives. So he made it so that not forget. So this is an answer to our objective number two, where why the feast are instituted. First, so that we might not stray away. So the first time we see this word Mo'ed is in Genesis 1 14, where God had created the sun, moon, and the star, and he says for signs and seasons. Mo'ed is good. Season is time. And seasons are, they come at exactly the time, right? Winter, spring, summer, but we know that all of that happens. So he made these appointed times at a certain time. So the reason why, another reason why he commanded his feast to be kept for all generations is this. Woven into the seventh feast of Yahweh, by understanding that, we will understand both of Yeshua's first coming and his second coming. Did you know that, that all of this was wrapped up in the feast of Yahweh? We're going to learn those things. And this is another answer for why Yahweh had instituted these particular feasts. So these feasts are dress rehearsals for coming future prophetic events and also replaying what happened in the past. It's like the wedding rehearsal, right? If you a wedding, there's a wedding rehearsal. And people go and practice how to walk, how to safety with the Lord. He wants us to practice the things that we're gonna do in the future. So we'll be top sheet when we get there. So today we're gonna to take an overview look of these seven feasts of Yahweh. So these are the seven feasts. Pesach is Passover. Hag Hamatzah is unleavened bread, the feast of unleavened bread. Hag Hamikurim is the feast of first fruits. Shavuot is Pentecost, the feast of weeks. And Yom Torah, which is also called Rosh Hashanah, is the feast of trumpets. Yom Kippur is the day of atonement. And Sukkot is the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember Sukkot, no? Sukkot is where you build the tents. Okay? So the grouping of the feast by season is a way, 
a useful way to study the feast because each season has its own harvest and relates to a certain kind of um, harvest, things that they harvest during each season. So in the spring, it was the barley harvest, and that's where the first fruits of the barley sheep would be taken out. And the wheat harvest would be done in the summertime, and we'll see the significance of each of these um, seasons. And in the summertime, at the wheat harvest, they would offer two leavened loaves. So two loaves of bread with leaven in it, and they would wave it for them. And in the fall, there will be grape harvest, the harvest of fruit and vine. So in general, the most populated group of feasts would be into two groups, the spring feast and the fall feast. And these act as the first and second coming of the, of the sun. So the first four feasts are in the spring and they come within 50 days of each other. Uh, these first four feasts have already, already been fulfilled with Jesus' first coming. We're going to look into that uh, right after this. So the feasts were laid out consecutively following one after another in a calendar year. So in the four spring feasts, the first three would occur very close together. Passover, Pesach, Unleavened uh, Bread, First Fruits, and then there'll be another time period, and after 50 days, we would end up with Pentecost. So the spring feasts were fulfilled precisely when Jesus' first coming. And that was followed by a long pause, which we are currently experiencing today. And that is called the church age, which is now the summertime where the fields are wiped out to harvest. And what we do, we go out for the harvesting of souls. So God didn't save you to make you be happy and just do all things with love God and his eye in your game. He saved you for a distinct purpose. First, to reach out for lost souls, but also to stir jealousy in the Jewish people. So he uses Gentiles to stir the Jewish people into loving. So we're here in the summertime of God's prophetic calendar waiting for the rapture of the church. So the fall feast, that was the spring feast during the Holy Spirit. Now, the fall feast will be fulfilled within 15 days. So when the rapture comes, we're going to be fulfilling Rosh Hashanah, the feast of trumpets, and it occurs in the seventh month of the first day. And Yom Kippur will be in the seventh month on the tenth day. And in Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles will be done in the seventh month on the fifteenth day. So the first four festivals, we're going to take a quick look at uh, right now. The first one we're going to just give a little insight to is Chav Pesach, which is the Passover. Remember the Bible says that Jesus is the door. So you know, in Israel, they had the, uh, the sheep hands. It's just a little door between the rocks. And that's where the shepherd would lie. So that if the, if the wolf would have to come to you, you would have to come to the shepherd. So Jesus is that particular door, but he's also the man that was slain from the beginning of the world. So what Passover is, is a feast really of salvation. But the price that was paid was there's no price that you can put on so for salvation from sin, for the Jews, it was redemption and deliverance from bondage. And for us believers, what is it? A deliverance from sin. Sin from the slave, slave market of sin. We were redeemed, we were bought. Even though we were slaves to sin, we were sinful. He still bought us with the price. So Jesus was sacrificed as our Passover on Passover. So what happened in Exodus? The Jews marked their houses with the blood of the Lamb. 
And we as believers, we want our our house, our tabernacle, our faith. This is called the bond with the blood of Christ. So when we receive Christ, we receive his blood and his covenant. So we observe this feast in remembrance again of the great miracles that were displayed in Egypt. Another part of it, they would also take communion. They would have a communion, which was part of the original Passover. But now we do it in remembrance of the Lord. Now in the Jewish uh, ceremony, anybody went to a Passover Seder, a Passover event? Well, anyway, so the Jews, they don't go, they don't believe in Jesus, right? So they have this, uh, this bag, it has three pockets in it. And they take this lots of bread and they put it inside and they cut it up and they just eat it. They look what's happening. So we're going to look at what happens in the next piece. So the purpose of the Passover, the original Passover was what? Protection from the dead angels, protection from death. Now as we look forward, the prophetic outlook is the blood was always required for forgiveness, right? Remember King and Abel? One brought fruits of the field and another one brought a sacrifice and which one was acceptable? The blood. Because God already has shown Adam and Eve the proper way to come into a fellowship with him. When God himself sacrificed the first animal. And he showed Adam and Eve what to do. And I'm sure he told the two sons, but only one of the proper way. So God wants us to approach him in ways that he has dictated, not how we want to approach him. Yeah? So the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was the blood of the fire. So we were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. God's Passover lamb. So it was celebrated on the 14th day of the month. It's between March and April, we always celebrate that. And it was found in Exodus 12, it says it was the Lord's Passover. So the main thing about this feast was redemption for the Jews from Israel, but also we were redeemed as slaves to sin. And the crucifixion and the redemption were the main events. We were saved by the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb of our blemish. The next feast in the calendar is the Chach Matzot, found in Leviticus 23, 6 to 8. It's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It occurs the second uh, evening after Passover, the very next night after Passover. But God told the Jews to eat only the pure unleavened bread during this week of Passover. Now we all know what leaven means, right? In the Bible. It's a type of sin. So we're all like that. So unleavened bread, the Bible shows that if you eat it over a period of time, symbolize a holy walk with God. So in the New Testament, the unleavened bread is the body of none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. So getting back to that piece of bread, the Jewish matzah, is he that bread? This unleavened bread was striped. What does the Bible say? By his stripes were healed. But that particular bread also is pierced. Jesus, he said, was pierced for our transgressions. And he was also without leaven, which represents the sinless sacrifice of Jesus' body. So the Passover, after morning, that they would take those three lots uh, of bread pieces and they would put it into one bag. To us, as believers, we can say, hey, that's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what they do in the ceremony, they take out the middle, middle bread and they break it in half. And what they do, they, they wrap up those pieces and they hide it away. And later on in the night of the, of the Passover, they tell the children to go off and find this. And when they find it, they give them these gold coin chocolates to show that when you search out for Jesus, you search out for Christ, it's like finding treasure once you find it. And that's the whole picture. But the Jews failed to see it. They just seem to be cracking. <laughs> <laughs> and now you can break it with all these social distancing. You can't do that. 
So that ceremony is like right in the face of the Jews, but they, they, they have blinders on. So what God is doing today, he's saving Israel as individual humans. Just like as us Gentiles, everyone will come to him individually. Later we're going to see God's plan to save Israel as a whole. So the elements of unleavened bread, again, was a, a day after Passover. It lasted for seven days. We have that ceremony. So it also shows sanctification and justification. So the purpose of unleavened bread was originally was bringing Israel out of Egypt in a fast way, that's why the bread could rise. But as we look prophetically at it, it was Christ's sinless body that was given for us that this represents. And that's why Jesus is called the bread of life. The next feast is Chav Habituri, a feast of first fruits. So this is held on the third day. So Passover, the next day is unleavened bread, and then right after that, is who rose on the third day? You see how this thing is so many uh, insights just by understanding the feast. So God wanted a special feast during which the Jews would acknowledge that God had prospered them in the land that He had given them. So they would bring in their early crops to the priest of the temple and they would make these prayers and they would wait it. The Bible says it was God for the Lord of the Shabbat, which is seven years uh, So this celebration was about God's replanting of the earth. But what does it the Bible say? But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Now asleep, sleeping to Paul was a technical term for those believers who died in Jesus. So what we miss in partly truth by not using first fruits, because Jesus was the first fruits with the understanding that there would be more fruits to come. The second fruit, the third fruit. So like the Jews, they were like the first fruit of the church. And then there's going to be the resurrection. The first fruits of the resurrection will be the church. And then it's going to be the Jews. It's going to be believers in the tribulation. So what did Jesus do on this day? When Jesus celebrated this feast of first fruits, he celebrated on the summit his resurrection. He celebrated by raising himself from the dead. It was not a Monday or a Saturday or Friday, but on the exact three days, first fruits. And that was the last the feast that Jesus was fulfilling personally on the earth. But his ministry to the church goes on even today in these feasts on each of their appropriate days. So the Feast of First Fruits was a purpose in the beginning. It was to dedicate their harvest of the promised land to God. And as we look prophetically on it, it was the resurrection of Jesus himself. A capstone of Christianity where no other religion can have that promise or that truth, truth bar. And it was delivered as the first fruits to God of more to come. The last of the spring feasts is called Shavuot. Shavuot occurred in Sinai or Sinai, and then it occurred also in Jerusalem. It is also called as the Hebrew word, the Greek word is called Pentecost, which means 50 days after Pesach. So 50 days after Pesach, we have this feast, the feast of Pentecost. And it says in Deuteronomy, what we get from the word, the name, feast of weeks says, Count off seven weeks from the time you begin to put the circle to the standing grain, then celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God. You guys notice something? 
Our God is not doom and gloom and an old grumpy guy in heaven. God is carrying you out, man. You're getting seven times a year a little luau. It's God. He's like, party God. So, you know, that's enough, man. You know, God to party God. Take it serious, but right here. So that's where we get the term Easter weeks, a 50 day multi. So when we look at the 50 days, where it says, it's found in this passage in the Genesis 23. It says, You shall count for yourselves from the day after the Shabbat, from the day when you brought in the sheep and the wave offering, there shall be seven complete Shabbats, which means seven weeks, as we get the term. You shall count 50 days to the day after. So the seven Shabbats, and the next day, when you will celebrate this, you shall present a new grain offering. And this is the cool part. You shall bring in from your dwelling places, what does it say? Two loaves of bread. For a wave offering made of two tenths of an ephah, they shall be of fine flour baked with leaven as fresh fruits to the Lord. What's happening here? God was predicting that the church would be comprised of two parts, Jew and Gentile. So when you have uh, these two loaves of bread made with leaven, that's what the Jews use in today, that kava bread leaves it to, it will represent the one new man, the church of Tehillah, the body of Christ made up of Jew and Gentiles. Now you remember the other bread? The other bread was flat and bold and striped. So this one is puffed up because we all got pride, right? You see the puffed up. And that's why it represents us. Like, whenever you uh, just go fast over, that's what it means. So the two loaves and wave offerings are Jewish and Gentiles to the same life, Yeshua's sacrifice of Jesus, which was a peace offering so that God and man to be reconciled. So Jesus was a mediator. God was on this side, and us men were on that side, and there was no way we could connect with God, because our sins separated us. But Jesus, in his superior love for us, took on this skin forever, forever limiting himself and his body on nature to be in a body. That's the incredible humiliation of Christ. But he put on his skin, limiting himself. So that's why he's sitting at the right hand of the Father in the body. But in his darkness, what was he can um, come and live inside of us. So, so here's all humanity. In humanity, there's only two kinds of people in the Bible, Jew and Gentile. So as far as Christians are concerned, there's Jewish evangelism and there's Gentile evangelism. So when, Jew, when Gentiles come to believe in God, they become part of the Church of God. And when Jews become to believe in, in God, they become the Israel God. So many people, they not understanding the feast, they have replaced Israel with the church. And that's called replacement theology, which is nowhere found in the scriptures. So all believers are baptized into the body of Christ. The church, once you believe, the Holy Spirit takes you, gives you a new DNA, and He places you into the body of Christ. You need His body. And you know what? He's in our body. He lives in us. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit lives within us. So the birthday of the church did not exist prior to this event in history. In fact, the church was a mystery. The Gentiles could not come into the temple until Jesus did this.
So the coming of the Holy Spirit. So the coming of the Holy Spirit gave rise to the birthday of the church. So prior to this event in Acts 2, the church did not exist. Some people believe the church existed for Adam, Abraham. But what makes the church distinct is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So once you believe, the Holy Spirit baptizes you, puts you in the, in the body of Christ, and He gives you your gifts right there. And now it's up to you and me to develop those gifts and others who see your gifts and appoints you to the roles that you need to play within his body. Okay, so there are parallels between the Old and New Testaments that we find on the day of Shavuot. From the beginning on Mount Sinai, was the, we believe it was the giving of the Ten Commandments. And the New Testament parallel was the giving of the Holy Spirit. Back in the day, Mount Sinai, 3,000 men died. And it says in the New Testament, in this event, 3,000 men were saved. The commandments at those times were written on what? Tablets of stone. Today it says the commandments are written on our hearts. One of them was the letter of the law, which, which brought on death. And now we find the spirit of the law, which brings life. One was done, where was the first one? The Mount Sinai, and the second one was done on Mount Sion in Jerusalem. Let's see what happens. So these great feasts were fulfilled in order that the first coming of Messiah. And we can be sure that the next three feasts, the fall feasts, will be fulfilled in the order that the second coming of Messiah. So the first four in our seven candle menorah have been fulfilled. And there are three more still to come. I don't know how well you can see this one. At the first coming, he achieved salvation for us. And the church began at Pentecost. And now we saw that church age is that blue color. And after the church age, we're going to see the Messiah is going to come for a second time. So we're going to look at these fall feasts in rapid succession. Now in the fall or autumn season, grapes will be ripe for harvest in the land of Israel. So the fall feasts are types and shadows of the Messiah's second coming. That is why when you read Revelation, you read Ezekiel and all these passages, the yet to 
be fulfilled passages of Revelation, they speak about the grapes of wrath, the winepress of his wrath. And all of this is because of the season of grapes. So this is how it's going to look. The last three will be fulfilled, which are unfulfilled now. We're going to just take a quick look. We're in the church age now. We're going to see how the rest of it will be fulfilled. Rosh Hashanah is the head of the civil year. Not the beginning of the year is Nisan for the Jews, but this is the civil year, the civil year. It was also known as the birthday of the world, as they feel that the Jews feel that this day is God creating the world. This feast is also called Yom Kippur, and on this day it was commanded a memorial of the blowing of the shofar, and this was done on the seventh day of this particular feast. On the first day of the month, it says, they had a memorial blowing of trumpets. So they jumped from a whole couple thousand years straight to God's back to harvest, harvest the souls, and then we come to this blowing of trumpets. And this will bring us to the rapture of the church. Now you know in First Thessalonians, it talks about the dead will rise, trumpet sound. This is the, the, uh, the feast that the trumpets are told. Also in First Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, it says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all speak. So not all of us are going to die in Christ, but we all shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. Remember that, the last trumpet. For the trumpet sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed forever. What is he talking about? In this feast of trumpets, there are four blasts that they, they, they blow throughout the feast. Three intermingling, and they, they have this one last blast. One hundred blasts of the hundred blasts, the shofar board takes a deep breath, and he blows with all his might this last trumpet blast. It's called a tequila de the last trump. And when that trumpet blows, people uh, rejoice. Just like us, at the last trump, we're going to hear it. And he's going to take us up in the instant, in the twinkling of an eye. So all of our loved ones that wait before us, the first to die, the first to die, the first will be last. So when they rise, all the dead in Christ will rise first at the trumpet blast, and we who remain shall be also taken up. So the corrupted, the bodies of those gone before us, will put on incorruption. And then we who are alive, this mortality, we're going to put on immortality, never to be sin, sin again, and never to die. Isn't that awesome? We're <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we all going to look at the best that God, God invented. We saw all people look the same, right? <laughs> some of you all going to look the same, but for me, I'm totally different. <laughs> so we will get the perfect uh, state or status what God intended humans to be. So when he created Adam, he was a solid man, just right off the dirt, he was. And that's what God made us. So you know, you might not have hair, you might have hair, you might have hair, no worry. We all be perfect. Oh, you perfect. So God did it. God did it. God So the, the rapture is also a picture. Because you know, Jesus is going to come down on the clouds and he's going to lead us and take us up. What happened on the Mount Sinai? The Lord came down and on the mountain with clouds and mountains. And what did, what did Moses do? Moses came up to it. It was a picture of the rapture. Big cool stuff. 
The last and not least is your heart. Uh, second one. Yom Kippur, the feast of atonement, or the day of atonement, is practice one day. So in the second part, the first day, we go to shock is very rapture. Ten days later, Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur was put there for a couple of reasons. They have to atone for their sins. What sin, you might ask? I know all of you are asking, what sin? What sin? This feast will be fulfilled by Israel as a nation. They must atone for committing, anybody heard this term, the unpardonable sin? Do you really know what the unpardonable sin is? Right? It's the spirit. Okay. How is that what you do? You just don't accept the spirit? You just disregard God in that way? What it is, is rejecting Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ. Because while on this earth, the religious leaders of Israel attributed his miraculous works, not being done by the Holy Spirit, but by the Prince of Demons. So if you look in Matthew 12, 20 until the end of chapter 12, this is what the Lord is talking about. The other part of the sin. What happened after Israel rejected Jesus? It says on verse Matthew 13, verse 1. On that same day, he talked in parables. So prior to Matthew 12, he was teaching everybody. He told who he was. Go tell that. Go tell them what I did for you. After Matthew 13 and the rejection of Israel, religious leaders, he tell the world. All other things that happened after this point, tell the world. Because now he's hiding the truth to the um, masses in order to teach his disciples the truth that they're going to be using in the book of Acts. So all this now is going to be using them. So that unpardonable sin the Bible talks about. This generation, that, you know, back in that day, this generation, this evil and wicked generation, seeking the sign of only one sign, the sign of Jonah, the sign of resurrection. So the day of atonement will be fulfilled for the Jews when Israel as a nation calls upon Jesus to return to save them of the Antichrist and his armies during the great tribulation. What are they going to do? All these are going to be saying how? The Bible says that the Jews call out to him. We're going to be in heaven with Jesus already. But the great tribulation will be fulfilled by the atoning of their sins. And remember, only one third of the Jews will survive. They're going to cry out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this will make way that they receive. God and the Savior is going to be another part. So we go from all these parties to one terrible time, the great tribulation, into a party. What kicks off this next uh, feast, the last feast, is Israel accepting Jesus as their Messiah. Then 75 days later, we'll take about 75 days later to prepare this and this feast will be called Feast of Tabernacles. Or the wedding throughout on earth. So we'll get one wedding ceremony throughout in heaven. That's for us church believers. We're going to come back with Christ to this earth. And we're going to have this first seven day throughout. <laughs> seven days. Now you remember he made wine? was his first. It had to be the most exquisite wine ever made in Hacker. I don't keep wine. But one thing, I think I'm going to start this. <laughs> if Jesus told me make me no wine, yeah, I want to know how it is, but I'm doing it. Just like Jesus said, I'm not going to drink this until he's in his kingdom. So I don't think I use that same for me, but if you want to drink wine, it's fine, right? no problem. There's a little sin against it. The only sin is what? Drunk is, okay? So now we are back to Sukkot. So the Feast of Booths, or Tabernacles, 
was celebrated on the 15th day of the seventh month. It was observed after the completion of all the fall feasts. And this feast, what it did was commemorate Israel's not independence, independence day motif, but dependence upon God, reminding the people when they live in these temporary uh, shelters in the wilderness. Remember, they were all running away from the crowd and now they're building these tents, these little. And this is found in the first law reference, speaking to the children of Israel, saying, The 15th day of the seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days of the Lord. Another seven day law. You don't feel like all party already? Like, oh, come on, buddy. Not really. So this piece will represent Jesus' rule in Jerusalem for a thousand years. A thousand year reign of Christ. And we as the church will be on one end of the spectrum. Uh, ruling and reigning in Christ. And on the other side will be invaded by the Jewish army. Ruling and reigning in Christ in the Messianic Kingdom. And that is pretty awesome. But we're going to be serving these humans who make it alive through the tribulation and we're going to repopulate the new matter. So the tabernacle is a tent. It says in John 1 that Jesus tabernacle, the word tabernacle that it came out. And Peter also spoke of the body being the tabernacle. It was a tabernacle for Moses, the habitation of them. So what do these, these feasts represent? The feast, these fall feasts represents the day of atonement, it represents the rapture, and it represents God's Messianic kingdom. So these are the next three feasts, the Feast of Trumpets, Atonement, and Sukkot, that we are to be watching for when Yeshua returns for his church. So this is a timeline of uh, the feast. Now how can we answer, uh, let's see, The rapture. This answer the rapture. When could the rapture or when could the rapture occur? So the rapture occurs on the first day of the seventh month of Sivan. Biblically. So what does that mean? The tribulation occurs ten days later. So could the pre-tribulation stance be affirmed through the feast of Israel? Yes. What about the mid-tribulation stance? Five days, you know, into the, into the day of atonement, then the rapture wouldn't have stopped. No, it doesn't fit. There's also the pre-rapture, rapture, the three-quarter rapture. Is that true? Not bad. Or post-trip, who would be in tabernacles already? So that kind of happened during tabernacles or any other time, but pre-trip. Before the tribulation occurs, the church must be taken up because the church has nothing to do with this judgment. The church did not commit the unpardonable sin that the Jews as a nation did. So just by knowing the order of the tribulation, or the order of the feast, we can get a better grasp of our eschatological outcomes. What else we can look at? Oh. What about preterism? That all the judgments of God concerning the second coming came to pass in 87. Is that a valid uh, position, preterism? If we look
nothing happened. We're still here. <laughs> Nobody's been raptured. And the great tribulation is still coming. It's, it's not great because it never happened. When it's happening, it's going to be great, but it hasn't happened yet. What is another one? So what is that? Oh, Peter. Anybody thought about Peter? They were on the bottom of transfiguration in Matthew 17. What happened? He sees Jesus and he notices Eliyahu or Elijah the prophet and Moshe. Because they had to, hello, my name is Elijah. Hello, my name is Moses. They didn't, but there's something that when we achieve you know, the perfectness, we'll be able to know these people of the Bible. But what was his first reaction? I want to build three tents. Why? What Judaism teaches is that when Messiah comes, he will bring in a messianic kingdom and he will set it up. That's true. If you knew Jesus was the Messiah, what was the problem? All the other feasts didn't take place here. You had to go to Passover, unleavened bread. All of those feasts mattered. And that's why we celebrate all these things because it matters and it reminds us the lengths God went through for our Akarya. What he went through? So many things for us. So for me, I want to, and every time we do the feast, we learn one more thing that we didn't see. It's in scripture, it's living and active so we can learn more insights as we um, continue to do it. What was the last thing? Last significant, the last of our what we should learn. Should we as believers keep and celebrate these feasts like our God has told us to? Because he's a God of party. Or should we not? Should we just um, that was in the past. It's not we're living in the church age. And all of this is relevant to our walk. So for me, I would say, it will be good. You don't have to, I'll just say, it will be good, it will be practice. So with that, I'll give you things to ponder about. Let's pray and we'll do the last song and close it up.